Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Welcome! Glad you guys are with us today. Uh, we are back for our third week of the Rooted series, where Rooted is all about this. We are being rooted in the rhythms, the habits, the spiritual disciplines of the original church. And Dave had it right. We've uh, sold, given away so many of these Rooted books that I can tell you that 90% of you, 90% of you are in a community group right now. And so that's congratulations, way to go. We're super excited about that. Um, and like you said, the, the other 10% of you, it's not too late, all right? So you can jump into that today. Uh, here's what I want to talk about today. I believe God wants to reveal himself to you. I believe that God, in these next 10 weeks, wants to reveal himself to you in some way. He might give you, well, for some of you, that if you're not yet a Christian, he actually wants to reveal that he exists and that he loves you. For those of you that you're a follower of, of Jesus, you're already a Christian, I believe he might want to give you wisdom. He might want to give you a new direction. He might want to give you actually a healing for a hurt that you maybe, you know you have it, maybe you don't. But the question I think is this, is will we respond well? Will we respond properly when God reveals himself to us? So here's what we're going to do today. You ready? Uh, two things. Number one, I'm going to share with you the four ways that God reveals himself to people. Could you off the top of your head go, oh yeah, I know those four ways. It's, it's this. Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. And then at the very end, I want to do this. I want to give you two responses once God reveals himself. Because the truth is not everybody responds well when God reveals himself. There's a good way and there's a bad way. So that's where we're headed today. I'm going to jump right into this. The first way that God reveals himself to us is this. It's through the beauty, care, and complexity of his creation. It's through the beauty and the care and the complexity of his creation. Romans chapter one, verse 20 reads this way. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Let me explain this to you in form of a, um, an illustration. Uh, Kelly's parents met this guy by the name of Jeff Mitchum. Uh, Jeff Mitchum, we, they didn't know it at the time, was this uh, really well-known photographer. Uh, Jeff Mitchum, let me show you one of his pieces of work right up here on the screen behind me. Uh, this is shot on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas. It took him 15 years to capture that photo. He kept going back to the same spot again and again and again to get the color of the trees, the clouds, the storm, and the rays of sunshine coming through just right. It took him 15 years. And when he captured this, he printed it on this special paper that's supposed to be able to last 300 years. His photo is four feet by five feet, and it's, to the en- it's at the entrance of his gallery at the MGM Grand Hotel. This guy's a big deal. Actually, it used to hang at the MGM Grand Hotel until it sold for $1.8 million. I mean, that could almost buy you a house in San Jose. Now, the name of the photo, this is so great. Jeff Mitchum named his photo Third Day because of this. This is a quote from him. 
A shot like this comes along only once in a lifetime. And I'm ecstatic that I can preserve nature's beauty for future generations. When I saw the finished photo, it represented the resurrection of life. Evoked a deep bliss and the feeling of eternity lingered in my mind. I mean, for Jeff and others, I don't know if you have ever stood by the ocean or by a mountain or seen something that God created and just felt small. David, the writer of Psalm 8, this is how he put it. He said, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? He's feeling small. Human beings that you would care for them. And then he wraps up his psalm with this. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is really, really helpful for people who are going, does God really exist? And I would say this, by the beauty of what it is that God has created is the evidence that there's a God that exists. But it's not just his beauty, it's God's care for us. Um, You know when God put Adam and Eve in a garden that was the perfect place. It said there were trees there that were beautiful to look at, but they were also good for for food. In God's creation, he didn't just turn his creation loose and be like, hey, good luck on surviving. He's like, I'm going to provide for you. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he wanted to convince his followers. He's like, don't, you don't need to worry. Here's why. He says in Matthew chapter six, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's trying to say this. Listen, God isn't just about the beauty of his creation. He's about taking care of his creation. In the last uh, three weeks, we've had a lot of rain, right? Have you ever thought in the middle of that rain, instead of, oh, I don't want to drive in this. Have you ever thought, wow, God is caring for his creation. The reservoirs are filling up again. Now, granted, in the last three weeks, some areas around us have received about 14 inches of rain, so I'm feeling a little overblessed at this point. But here's my point. God reveals himself in the beauty and the care of his creation, but he also reveals it in his creation by the complexity. Um, if you just, you know, For example, if you ran across a watch, right, and it was laying in a field that was very desolate and there was no one around, would you ever pick this up and say, wow, over millions of years, maybe billions of years, when uh, living organisms and sludge and rock and pressure and the heat of the sun and a a lightning strike— Wow, over that many millions or billions of years, it formed a watch. That's amazing. You wouldn't, right? Why? Because there's some, there, there's some really interesting things about Mickey's hands in a watch. There's one that, that rotates a full rotation every minute. See what I'm talking about? She just, she just put the Mickey's hands thing together. Like, why is he talking about Disney? Okay. And then there's another one that every hour, yeah, every hour, the other one goes around. A full rotation every time. And there's a third hand that every 12 hours, it does another rotation, like in perfect sequence, right? But you look at that and you go, no, no, no. Surely it just kind of came together, right? Here's what's interesting about the way that God created the world. 
Every year the earth rotates around the sun uh, once a year. Now, just in case you're into specifics, 365 days, five hours, 59 minutes, and 16 seconds is actually how long it takes, which is, I think, why we get leap year. Every 24 hours, the earth makes a full rotation on its axis, which means the, at the equator, the earth is spinning at about 1,367 miles an hour. It's a wonder we just don't all fall off, right? But this is the way God created the world. And then every month, the moon makes a full rotation around the earth, actually 27.3 days. The point is this. You wouldn't look at a watch and go, oh, look, it just happened. You look at it and you say, there's a watch, therefore there's a watchmaker. And when you look at how God created the universe, the complexity and how it all fits together, wouldn't you say there's a world maker? See, for anyone who's asking, is God real? Can he handle my life your life, handling your life is nothing compared to the amazing beauty, care, and complexity of the world that he created. You with me so far? Now, for others of you that you're like, listen, I believe that God exists. Maybe that's not your question. Maybe your question is, I'm in a certain place in my life and I need God's wisdom or God's direction or I have this hurt that needs to be healed. So here's the second thing, uh, the second way that God reveals himself. It's through people. Uh, very possibly, I'll say it this way. It's not typically the pastor who reveals God's wisdom to you. Oftentimes, it's those who know you the best, those that are closest to you and who are Christians and walking with God. It's family, friends, maybe pastors. It could often be authors. Do you read in such a way and read people who are people of faith so that they can speak wisdom into your life? Um, when you came across a crossroads of decisions and you were wondering, God, well, where do I go? How do I deal with this? The better question is this. God, what way do you want me to go? I've been reading this book by Henry Nouwen. Uh, Henry is a, he's a sage. He's a believer, man of wisdom. He writes this book, and the title of the book is called Discernment. And in one chapter in this discernment book, he writes about friendships. How do you know, how, how do you discern when people are giving you the wisdom of God or God is speaking to you or revealing something to you through friends? He, he, he writes this, and it is a fantastic um, portrayal of how friends can give us wisdom, but he gives it to us with a warning. And I, want, I just want to read this to you. He says, the power of friendship is great. If, if, if it doesn't find all of its meaning in itself, if people expect too much from each other, they can do each other harm. Disappointment and bitterness can overpower love and even replace it. But in the practice of discernment in daily life, we can learn to appreciate our closest friends, families, members, and sometimes complete strangers as, listen to this, signposts pointing towards God. He goes on to say this, friends may be guides who see what we may not be able to see ourselves. Isn't that great? How do you do that? You do it by this. Just don't pretend you're the smartest person in the room. Just pretend that you're not the only one who God speaks to. If you open up your life to people and share it with them, which is why we do community groups, so that you have godly people around you to give you wisdom. But here's the warning. He said, but I also discovered the real problem. Expecting from a friend what only Christ can give. My old needs and desires for attention and affirmation resurfaced again. 
My new dependency and insecurity prevented me from making Christ and the community the true center of my life. I learned that people can be signs and helpful companions, but only God can guide and fully heal the wounded places in each of us. I think what he's saying is this. When we struggle to like ourselves or understand who we are, our identity, and we start valuing other people's affirmations of us, it reveals an insecurity in us, and we're putting our family, friends, and everyone else's opinion at the center of our world instead of God's opinion of us. You see this? Your community group isn't the center of your world. We, we, we get that. They're never intended to be. But God uses people closest to us to speak wisdom, direction, and reveal himself to us. I think that's what the scriptures are saying. The third thing, way God, that God reveals himself it's through experiences and opportunities. I'm going to direct you to a story in Scripture. I told this a couple months ago when we were studying the book of Colossians. The, the context is Acts chapter 16. And Paul was asking this question. God, where do we go plant the next church? Speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. Give me your wisdom right now. And here's how this goes. In Acts 16, it says, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. He's like, Jesus, I think you want us to go this way. I, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't know. It's like this spiritual thing, like my feet won't work. I don't know. Or like the opportunities, like people just shut them down. It doesn't give us any more information other than that. That just Jesus stopped them. Maybe it's just an intuition. Turn around. Okay. I mean, I don't know. We can make up all kinds of stuff. All we know is that God, we'll, we'll say, we say it in spiritual terms like this. God closed the door. We don't know what he means by that. But then it says this, the very next verse. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach to them. How did God speak to him? In a dream. In a vision. I'm not withholding any ways that God might speak to you. These next 10 weeks, as you're reading the Bible, and you go to sleep at night, God might speak to you in a dream. God might speak to you in a vision. And this is what happened. When they arrived in Macedonia, um, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Remember, the question is, God, where do we plant a church? We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Why did Paul go there? He had this dream or vision of a man in Macedonia saying, hey, come. Apparently the man in Macedonia was a woman. And she opens her heart and they stay with them for a while and they plant this church there. This season... I think God wants to speak. He wants to speak to people who are open. Maybe if you're not a believer, he wants to speak through his creation. Maybe he wants to speak through the people around you. Maybe he wants to speak by giving an opportunity, an open door. He might speak to you through an experience, a vision, or a dream. I don't know. Anyone who says, well, that just doesn't happen anymore. That's stories from the New Testament times. This world that you and I live in where Jesus, he's not a dead God. He's the one who speaks to us today still. Fourth, final way. And I will say the most important way. God reveals himself through the person of Jesus and through the scriptures. 
I, I believe this is the clearest way that God reveals himself about who he is and what he wants for us. And this is the one that you, I think, can trust more than any other. Because if someone gives you this wisdom and a person says, you know what, this is what I'm thinking. God gave me this message to give to you. You better double check that one in the scriptures, right? Because sometimes we just want people to tell us what to do because we want an answer so bad. And man, I've had people tell me some wacky stuff about what it is they thought God wanted us to do. But you can always trust Jesus and how he's revealed himself in the scriptures. Here's what Hebrews chapter 12 says. You ready? In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these days, he's spoken to us by who? By his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And this blows me away. And the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. You want to memorize the verse? You want to spend time in God's word meditating on something? This is so rich and deep because of this. Think about this for a minute. We have recorded for us after people spent three years of walking with Jesus on the earth. They got to see how he handled every situation, his enemies and those who loved him. Dangerous situations and safe situations. We got to see him handle all of this. And because he's the exact representation of God's being, we now know how God loves people, how God cares for people, how God, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. We know that he has power over the storms. Jesus has revealed God to us. And then those that knew him, he wrote down, they wrote down those stories. In Romans 15, it says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they, they provide, we may have hope. Which is why every day we want you to be in God's word. And if you picked up a rooted book, yes, that's outside of the scripture, but it's pointing you to the scriptures so that you're reading it every day so that God will speak to you. Some of you, you need to hear from God this season. I mean, some of you are desperate for it. And maybe some of you, um, you're at this critical stage. You're like, God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Maybe you just graduated from college. And you're asking the question, God, what do I do with my life? Maybe you just got married and you're just, oh, God, help me with my life. Uh, maybe you became a parent and you're holding this little baby, you're like, God, just don't let me mess up this little life. Maybe you're in the middle of your career and you're thinking, God, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Maybe in this valley, you know, the way things are headed. I just read this morning about more layoffs in a major company. You're saying, oh God, just don't let me go down that road. What do you want me to do? to stay where I'm at. And maybe some of you are like, you're in the middle of your career, but you're super dissatisfied. And maybe you're heading to retirement and you're like, God, what do I do with the rest of my life? And maybe you're not a Christian and you're asking the question, God, could you really give me eternal life? Could you really give me heaven? And I believe that God wants to reveal himself to you. I think the question becomes this, how will we respond when he does? 
Maybe God wants to reveal that he loves you. Maybe God wants to reveal that Jesus died for you so you could join his family. Maybe God wants to reveal a brand new purpose for your life. Because we can be super busy, but living life without purpose, like, God, I'm going through the motions. I I just don't want to do this same life over and over again. Don't give me another year like last year. God, would you give me a new way to love my spouse? Would you give us a new season for our family? And maybe he wants to reveal a hurt that he wants to heal. So here's my question. What do you need from God this season? I know there's notes on there. Those are just my thoughts to you with a bunch of scriptures. Maybe the most important note you're going to write today is this. Would you just answer that question? What do you need from God? I know, I know, no. He's already done so much for us, right? He's saved us. He's, he gave his son's life on a cross for us. But my question is this. What do you need from God? Let me ask you a different question. Maybe you've been around this church for a while. What do you think this church needs from God? I would dare you to write something down right now. Because this might be your prayer this season of, God, would you speak into this? So here it is. As we approach the finish line to this message, I want to talk about one story that is found in the book of Acts in chapter 3. And it's this story about how God revealed himself. And there were two responses. One group, their response was, good. (laughs) And there was another group, and their response was, yeah, good. Just wanted to make sure you're listening. It was bad. Um, And I'm going to beg this question at the end. If God answered your prayer, if God revealed himself how you're asking him to, would you respond, good? Or would you respond bad? Acts 3 tells the story to Peter and John. They're in Jerusalem. They're walking up to the temple for their daily time of prayer. See, they still had these Jewish habits of prayer, going to the temple and doing this. Um, The whole concept of just praying all the time, wherever you're at, that hadn't really developed with them yet. They're going to this temple, and the gate to get into the temple is this gate called Beautiful, which is aptly named because they're about to walk by this gate called Beautiful, and God is about to do something beautiful. There's this man sitting there. He'd been there. For decades, he couldn't walk. And he just asked, could you give me some spare change? You just asked Peter for some change. Hey, could you help a brother out? I just, I need some change. Can't work. My legs don't work, right? You just asked Peter, the one who for the last three years had walked with Jesus and took him from being a fisherman who used to catch fish. And Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to catch people for the kingdom of God. Peter saw him turn water to wine, his first miracle. Peter was the one who got out of the boat and walked on water, right? Yeah, he sank, but he walked on water, right? He was the one who saw Jesus heal people. He, he was the one who heard Jesus say, I want you to love your enemies. God revealed himself through Jesus to Peter. And this guy asked him for some change. Peter's like, oh, I'm going to give you some change. But it's not the change that you were thinking for, thinking of, or asking for. Here's what he says. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. This guy, for the first time, isn't left at the temple gate. He actually walks into the temple. And for a Jewish man to be able to walk into the temple was the the equivalent of, of him being in the presence of God to a place he'd never been allowed before. Now, we get the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The spirit of God came upon every believer. So don't make too big a deal of the temple. But for that Jewish man who didn't yet know Jesus, he was actually in the presence of God where he'd always wanted to be. He asked Peter for something, but Peter gave him something he did not ask for because God had been revealing himself to Peter all this time. And in this moment, God reveals his power, his love, his care for this man who stands for the first time in decades. And everybody gathers around, right? This is a big scene. Everybody knows this is a guy who sits at the gate called beautiful. And they saw this beautiful thing that God just did for him. And it says this, that Peter just tells the story of Jesus. Because every time God does something, people gather around. Peter just tells the story of Jesus. The story that he tells is this. Listen, we walked with Jesus for a long time. Y'all didn't like what he was saying and doing, so you killed him, put him on a cross. But God's power was so big, raised him from the dead. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of you can receive forgiveness and relationship with God. He just tells the story of Jesus, and it says this, that a thousand people right there on the spot, over a thousand people become followers of Jesus. And the whole church grew to 5,000. Remember, there were 3,120 before? Now it's 5,000. And Peter in that moment, has all these people responding and their response was, well, it was good. I know that's a deeply theological word, right? But they're like, if you're going to reveal your power, your love, your care for this man, and you're going to tell me like, this is, this is who God is. And he, he's been revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. Their response was good. But see, there's another group of people who are paying attention and they're watching all of this and their response isn't so good. As Peter's, Peter is speaking to the crowd, the priests, and then it says the captain of the temple guard, the authorities, they whisk them away. They're upset because there's a group called the Sadducees that are a part of that. And the Sadducees don't think anybody is ever resurrected. So like, hey, hey, you're, you're teaching the wrong thing. And not only that, but man, you're leading thousands of people astray. So they, they put Peter and John in jail overnight to stew on this thing. And these guys, these spiritual authorities, these people, they're the spiritual Congress of their day, if you will. They don't like it and they don't receive what God is revealing because of this. It doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't fit what they've always done with their lives. It doesn't fit with what other people have taught them. It's outside of what it is they're familiar and comfortable with. Therefore, they put them in jail. And the next day, Peter and John come to them. And the people say this. Here's what these Sadducees, these authorities say. Acts chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to their words. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. Isn't that funny? They saw God reveal his power to this whole group. 
They can't deny it, but why would you want to? Why would you want to deny something that's powerful and right in front of you? But this is the next verse, and it blows my mind. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. This is the religious governance. These are the men in charge of asking, God, what do you want us to do? And God reveals himself, and they're like, nope. How do we shut this down? I I know... Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, well, that's not any of us at church, right? We're at church. Here's my question for you. Are we bound by our old lives and unchangeable ways, which keep us from responding to God? Oh, God, I, I, I need your help with my kids. Oh God, I need your help in my marriage. Oh God, uh, my, the direction of my life. God, would you reveal yourself? Would you show yourself to me? What if he does show up and show off in your life, but it means a change. It means you're going to have to be married differently, treat your spouse differently. You're going to have to treat your kids differently. You're going to have to dig into some of the muck in your life that God might sort it out and heal it. What if it means you're going to have to think differently about who you are? God, I'm just this and I'm just that. I'm, I'm no good. And I'm like, he's like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you who you are. You're a beloved son or daughter of the king. You've never been more loved than you are right now. Then you will have to think differently about yourself. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's not who I am. Because it's not a part of the narrative that you've been living. Are you with me so far? When God reveals himself, sometimes it's a change of direction, a change of mindset, a change of job. I just wonder if we're bound by our old lives and unchangeable ways or if like these people, we are willing to say, God, I'm open to you being in control, not me. And I think that's the question. Who controls your life? As a follower of Jesus, we say, oh, Jesus, you are, you are the one in control. Or is it really us because we get the final word? We who are finite, small, often wrong, fickle, and even delusional about who we are and the world around us. Right? Or is it God? Let me point you to the closing scene of this. Uh, Peter and John, they are called into this religious congress and they are warned not to speak about Jesus anymore. Don't reveal him to people. Don't talk about the resurrection. You are to be silent or something worse might happen to you. These are the same people that put Jesus on the cross and they're threatening And Peter comes with this response. You could highlight this, underline this. Acts chapter 4, verse 19 reads this way. Which is right, this is Peter speaking, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Here's the question. Are we free to respond to the new life God offers us? For some of you, you're not a believer in Jesus and you've been taught all your life, hey, this is, this is what's true about God. You know, God's just kind of everywhere and in everything. He's not one thing, that whole Christian thing. It's kind of limiting. It's kind of narrow. Like, it is limiting and it is narrow because salvation only comes through one person. It's Jesus Christ. And there's nothing, there's no way to God outside of him. Super exclusive. But it doesn't mean it's not true. During this season, 
I believe God wants to reveal himself to you and me. In the daily scripture readings, the people that he will put in your path, maybe in your community group, maybe it's going to be through prayer, maybe even in creation. The creation deal is interesting. The creation is never a substitute for God's word. So I've met people who are like, listen, on Sunday mornings, I just go and be in God's, I'm sorry, I'm making fun of them by my tone of voice. I, I know that. I just need to go and be in creation. And it's just kind of my way of doing church. And that's garbage. You got Monday to Saturday to do that. God in his word, that is the biggest place for us to receive and hear from who he is by looking at the person of Jesus and then the community around us. But by creation, he po- it points to a creator. But my question is, are you free to actually follow his leading? Are you free to submit to his direction? And do you trust him? There'll be people in your life who say, hey, don't do this, don't do that. Don't get all Jesus fanatical on us, right? There's some of you. This ain't in my notes or anything, but there are some of you that God might lead you into full-time ministry. God might call a new direction in your life. And you're going to have people like, Dad, don't do that. You didn't go to college for that. Spent a lot of money. And you're like, so what? God might call you to minister to people and tell your story in a way that you've been afraid to for decades. Are you going to respond good? when he reveals himself to you. Here's how we're going to wrap up our morning. As we end, we have our band come out, and uh, we're going to have this moment of worship together. But I want to celebrate communion. At the tables around the room and up top there as well, uh, there's bread and there's juice. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this probably, that this bread represents Jesus' body that was broken on the cross for us. And that juice represents his blood that was poured out for our forgiveness. Look at me real quick. I know we're winding down, and you assumed all of those words I was about to say, and maybe the weight of them didn't hit you. And maybe God might, in this moment, reveal the weight of that. The bread is his body. It's the symbol of the suffering and the brokenness that Christ said, I will willingly do it. I don't want to do it. God, take this cup from me. I don't want to, but I will. Because there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And it was because of his death on the cross and that juice that we're about to drink. These are called sacraments because of the sacredness of what we're about to do. Represents his blood. That he willingly allowed to be poured out on that cross. And because of his great sacrifice, he has earned the right for our obedience. He's earned the right for us to submit our salvation and our lives to him. And so I pray that as we do this together, that God might meet you in a very real way. That the weight and the glory of God and the act 2,000 years ago was his son might rest on you because that is the hope of our eternity with God. And that is the hope that God walks with us today revealing himself to his people. Would you stand with me and I want to pray. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Jesus, we just give you thanks today. Father, you, um, you love us in a way that uh, it's unimaginable. 
Even after we have come to know you, God, there's so many ways in life that we just fail you, we get distracted. And yet you keep wanting us with you, that we are more loved than we even know. And we thank you for that. I believe it's in moments like this where we remember, God, that we actually gain courage to follow you, to say yes to you. So God, would you, during this season, would you reveal yourself to us? And may we have courage to follow you wherever it is that you lead us. Would you meet us in this time? And everybody said, amen.